hear the word of God as it is found in the great prophecy of Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, beginning to read at the 14th verse. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars. And the shouting of the Chaldeans will be turned to lamentations. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Amen and amen. Since the beginning of time, God has been continuously trying to redeem, release, and revitalize his people. The time is different. The places have changed. Faces are new. But always the process is exactly the same. God leads his people to redemption, to revitalization, to rescue by the process of exodus. The exit, the way out, that's what the word exodus means. And that's the way God leads his people. It's always been that way. Whenever the people are attendant, have a tendency to become captured, enthronged in their own activities, being led astray, knowingly or not knowingly, God always leads the people through an exodus. When the people were in the captivity of idolatry, God spoke to them through his man, Abram, and through that man's family, he led them out of the earth of Chaldees into a new promising land of Canaan. You know the history. 700 years later, in approximately 1300 B.C., those same people and their descendants found themselves down in the bondage of the Egyptians, making bricks for Pharaoh's temple. God heard the cry of those people in oppression 
And God led them out of that Egyptian captivity by calling upon Moses, who led them into the exodus of the wilderness. When they finally got into the new land and the kingdom was united under David and under Solomon, eventually there was a rift within the family. The nation became divided, and first Assyria came and attacked the north, and then came the great Babylons from the south. And lo and behold, in 586 B.C., Jerusalem fell, the temple was destroyed, and the people were carried into what we call the Babylonian captivity. God led them out through an exodus when he called Cyrus the Persian in 539 to come and allow the people to go back home. And they went back and rebuilt Israel. Then the people became confined and imprisoned by a set of laws, rules, regulation, legalism of the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. And God sent forth a new exodus. The leader this time was his own son, Jesus Christ, who in the first sermon he preached in his hometown said, I have come that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I shall preach release to the captives and set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the new exodus began in the form of the church. And when the church got off the track in the 16th century, God sent a new exodus of reformation. And through Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Knox, the church was reborn and set on a new path of which we in the Protestant tradition are a part. Our forefathers came to America because they believed God was leading them to a new land through the persecution of religion and the freedom or desire for the freedom of same. Our forefathers came to this shore believing that God was leading them in a new exodus. That's history. And if I can be a vain trying to be a prophet in God's pulpit today, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, from the depths of my heart, I believe that God is leading us in a new exodus today. God is speaking to us to lead us in a new exodus at this time in the history of the world. Now that's frightening. I borrow the text from the great prophecy of Isaiah where it was first recorded or read dealing with the Babylonian captivity. That 43rd chapter, that 19th verse where God says then and I say he is saying it today. Behold, I am doing a new thing now. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? I'm sure there are many people who do not. And I'm sure there are many of you who are scratching your head wondering what's been happening the last several weeks in this place. I'm sure there are many people who will live through this exodus just as there were people back in Egypt and Babylon who were not conscious that God was leading them in a new way. It's very difficult to perceive the moving of God 
in the world. It's very difficult for us to be sensitive to his leading. I believe that God is speaking to many of us, trying to help others to lead in this new exodus that God is beginning to make and announce and lead during this time in history. Now that's frightening, ladies and gentlemen, very frightening. Of course, the scripture says it's a frightening thing to be in the hands of the living God. I don't think all of us will hear or see, let alone understand what's happening. Those who do, I'm sure, will be the individuals who do not think more highly of themselves than we ought to think. That's one prerequisite in my understanding of scripture that will be required of people who will get involved in the new exodus. People not thinking too highly of themselves. And that is very difficult for us to keep from doing. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are truly a blessed people. As Paul Eckstein reminded us in his wonderful announcement this morning, as you and I know, we are people who are living, and let's not deny it, in a very affluent society. We are a part of a period of prosperity. And we, of all people, have been richly and greatly blessed. And it's very difficult for blessed people to realize they're in the process of a calling from God to get involved in a new exodus. A point of history, and may we never forget it, it's always easier for God to call people into a new exodus out of oppression than it is out of blessing. And we are those people who are blessed, and consequently those blessings can be, they don't have to be, but they can be blinders to our eyes and stoppers in our ears so that we cannot see, nor hear, nor understand what God is doing to us, through us, and wants to work out of us. Only one way I know how to do it, that's the way Paul suggests it. Paul says that of all the honors, blessings, accomplishments which he won, which were given to him after hard work, which he knew by birthright and heritage, he was very thankful for them, but he could not always be reflecting upon them. He had to more or less treat them as things that were worthy only of the garbage dump. Paul was a blue blood. He was a blue blood of all blue bloods. He was an individual who was not only an Israeli, but he was of the family of Benjamin. And those of you who know Israeli history know that's the elite of the elite. He went to the best of schools. He carried the best of credentials. He had power. He had blessing. He had everything. And all of this, he said, he had to treat as nothing, as being lost if he was going to become an instrument of God. And that is hard to do, ladies and gentlemen. We all have plaques hanging all on our walls. We carry titles before and after our names. We're richly blessed. And as such, it's very difficult for us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. 
While we're passing out accolades, may I, on behalf of myself and I'm sure many other people, express congratulation and justifiable pride in these young girls from Mars who did so very, very well Friday night, being honored, recognized as the second best basketball team in the state of Pennsylvania in their class. You did us much good and brought to us much pride. Some people who worship here are part of that team. You did us much, much good. And just another, you see, of the many, many accolades, announcements, pronouncements, honors that are bestowed upon us individually and collectively in this community and in this church. And it's so hard to say, ladies and gentlemen, let's not make the mistake of allowing such honors to stand in our way of future victories. They can. They can. We've got to be very thankful for who we are and what we have been able to attain by the glory and grace of God. But folks, let's not be content to build a shrine upon yesterday. Let's not pat ourselves too strongly upon the back because that can prevent us from doing even greater things tomorrow. Glory be to God for all of the gifts, the praise, the honor we know because of the hard work and skill of many of you. But folks, may it never stand in the way of the new exodus. And the best way I know to keep it from doing that is to be a constant reminder to you and to me that though we're very grateful for all of these things, we've got to consider them in the proper perspective and not rely upon our past achievements too much. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. For remember, a haughty spirit always comes before a mighty fall. But just so you don't get me wrong, let's not think too lowly of ourselves either. Because you see, if you're going to get involved in this new exodus, you cannot think too highly, nor can you think too lowly of self or of our being. We get this not from Paul, but we get it from Jesus in that particular passage that you find at the very beginning of that eighth chapter of John where we talk about and read about that woman. Yeah, that one. You know the one I'm talking about. That woman who got caught and who was brought to Jesus by a group of individuals who wanted to catch Jesus. Yes. They brought this woman. They knew the scripture. They knew Jesus knew the scripture. Adultery was to be repaid one way. The person guilty was to die, and to die by stoning. They knew that, and here came Jesus, the new liberator, always giving somebody another chance, and they wanted to catch Jesus. They didn't care about that woman. They were only using her much as her lovers had used her. They were just using her to try to get to Jesus. <laughs> And Jesus knew that. And when they hounded Jesus by saying, well, now what do you say, Jesus? Do we stone her or do we not? Hoping to catch him up. Jesus refused to get embroiled in such a controversy. 
He merely kept writing as he had been doing on the ground, ignoring the question. And when they continued to persist, notice what Jesus says, and please read this very carefully because many misunderstand it. Jesus did not get involved in a discussion as to whether adultery is or is not a sin. It is a sin, was then and is today, and make no question about that. But he knew there were other sins than sins of the flesh. And Jesus, not getting embroiled in the conversation, says nothing about adultery, but rather says to the accusers, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then in just the opposite way that those people who were very blunt had to break into somebody's private bedroom to catch somebody in an act, Jesus did not look at these people, but again looked down at the ground, giving them a polite way to steal away. And one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, those who had sinned, one way or another, left the woman. And then Jesus looked up and said, Where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? She says, No one, sir. And then said Jesus, and listen very closely, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus did not excuse the act of adultery as being something that is very light. It's not. Jesus is not saying it's all right to commit adultery. Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus rather is trying to say to people, he comes not to condemn us, but to forgive us. Jesus is trying to say several things about sin. One, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we better be careful who it is that we try to catch in some particular act of sin. Secondly, Jesus is trying to say is we better take the big beam out of our own eye before we try to take the speck out of somebody else's eye when it comes to accusation of sin. And Jesus is trying to say is that he convicts people of sin and he's willing to forgive those who ask for forgiveness, but he does not condone sin, any form of sin, which includes adultery, but he is willing to give us another chance. I often wonder what happened to that woman. I wonder if she ever went and got into some other man's bed after that. Or whether or not she saw in Jesus the forgiving power that enables an individual to become master of passion and enables them to go on and live with the things for which they have been created. He gave her a second chance. He enabled her, you see, not to go through life feeling condemned, but rather as an individual who had sinned, who had been forgiven, and now could live a new life in all the power and glory of righteousness. I tell you this, you see, because most of us walk around this world feeling we're condemned. Oh, and we do all sorts of crazy things trying to find other people's faults, trying to point out other sins. We're all trying so many different ways to accuse other people, so I guess we can elevate ourselves and think we don't look so bad. But ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't do much for the kingdom. 
It's only when you have met Jesus Christ face to face, know that you are forgiven and that Jesus came not to condemn you, but to convict you of sin, to forgive your sin, but to raise you up so that you can do those things for which you have been created. That's what he did. And I think we need to hear this message of forgiveness and being bathed in it once again, especially if we have forgotten the meaning of salvation. Because we cannot go limping along in this new exodus if we feel that we are still condemned. The new exodus is for people who think not too highly of themselves, more highly than they ought to think, nor is it for those who are always condemning themselves and others and who think too lowly of self. No, rather it is for those people who know who they are, forgiven, redeemed sinners, people who are not looking for excuses or cop-outs, but people who are willing to press on today for the high calling which is theirs of God's through Jesus Christ. Yes, that's who's going to be in the new exodus. Not those people who think they're too good to get involved and who won't take the time to understand what is happening, nor those individuals who think too lowly of self and are not good enough, they think, to get into the kingdom or to be a part of today's exodus, but those individuals who know who they are forgiven sinners, who are willing to become daring, people who are willing to be vulnerable, not to salve their guilt, but rather as people who are redeemed of their guilt, who are willing Believing in the transcendence of God. To say, lead on, O King Eternal, the day of March has come. Rise up, O people of God, be done with lesser things. March on. March on. Today we come to a close of four weeks of sermons, and I'm sure many of you think they've been way out. <laughs> instead of trying to lead all of us into the new exodus, which is the way God is leading today. Some of you have been disturbed, upset. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been probed, pushed, shoved, but all of you have been loved. I've done this not because necessarily I wanted to, but I'm a preacher of the gospel, and like Paul I know, woe be to me if I do not preach the gospel. God speaking, ladies and gentlemen, I'm convinced of that more than I ever have in all of my ministry. And he's speaking to some of us here to get involved in the thing, the new thing he's doing now. And I don't want any of us to miss that call. I thank you for your support, your understanding, and the promise you show to become the people of God today. It's a great life. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, lead us, lead us, lead us, and give us the courage to make a faith something that is in the active voice 
and something that we do today and tomorrow. Lead on, O King Eternal. The day of March has come. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.